This is the American Cast Conversation Series, and it's an online space where people share their stories and discuss their experiences with capitalism at their intersections and what it means in their daily lives and communities. Um, I created this storytelling project while I was writing an essay on my blog, um, Kendriana Speaks. It's on Tumblr. I'll put the uh, link in the notes. Um, you can actually read it there. And uh, while I was doing research, I felt the need um, to create this series so that we can start to have those really important conversations um, about capitalism in a way that divulges how harmful it is and also its influence. Um, so this is a three-part series, um, a three-part panel interview series, and you'll be able to find the next installment here in a couple of weeks. Um, I'm excited about this project because I get to talk to really cool people um, around the, across the country and also hear your stories and, and um, have re really critical conversations about something that I think is super important. So um, let's just go ahead and um, get into it. Um, I'm here with Celeste and also Kat. Uh, Celeste is in Texas and I think Kat is in California right now or Canada? I'm in Canada. I'm in Vancouver right now. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So um, Kat is in Vancouver. So um, uh, Celeste, if you want to start, uh, just introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, where you're from. All right. Hi, I'm Celeste Graham. Uh, I'm the host of the Slayless Show. It's a very long name, but it's the Slayless Show. It's Slay with three Ys. Just kind of a play on my name. You can find me on Instagram um, or Facebook, and we stream via iTunes, SoundCloud. I'm an educator and potential aspiring PhD student. I'm waiting to hear back right now on applications. Um, yeah, I think that about I think that about covers it. Yeah, mom to be. I'm pregnant as well. Eight months. So that's yes. Uh, that's <laughs> you have a little girl on the way, right? I have a girl on the way, yes. I have a girl. Okay, Kat, you can go ahead. <clears throat> Great, so uh, my name's Kat. I'm from the States. I'm from uh, New England originally, um, but right now I'm living in Vancouver, Canada, um, uh, British Columbia. I came out here to do a PhD. I'm studying organic chemistry, so I'm in my fourth year of my PhD here. Um, and so I know you wanted to talk a little bit about like what we do for work. So this is just kind of a misconception for some people is that, you know, I tell people like, oh, I'm in school and people will be like, oh, well, how do you make money? But I actually get paid to do the work that I do at school. So I basically don't go to classes. I mostly do research and I make money. Uh, basically, I have a stipend to do that research. So it's a pretty like small income, but it is, you know, promised to me while I'm in school. So uh, I basically, I get paid to do the research that I'm working on, but I'm also going to get a degree as well. So, okay, awesome, awesome, awesome. Um, well, I'm Kendriana. Um, since this is the first video, I'll go ahead and introduce myself. Um, my pronouns are she/her. I was born in a small town in Oklahoma, but I grew up in Dallas, Texas. That's actually where I met Celeste. Um, I recently relocated to Southern California for work. Um, my daytime work is in the corporate world. Um, I've been doing that for a while, um, but I am, so I'm definitely complicit in the whole scheme of capitalism. 
which it's so deeply ingrained. You kind of have to be just a little bit. Um, but we'll talk more about that later, of course, of course, how it's kind of un unavoidable. Um, but I am a writer, um, a speaker, and an interdisciplinary artist as well. Um, so the first question that I want to ask you all is how you defined how you define capitalism and how it has impacted you personally at your intersections. And we'll go ahead and take turns. So Kat, you can go first. Um, yeah, so capitalism is really complicated. I mean, for me, it's it's almost, it seems like a, now I, my opinion has really changed about it. So when you first learn about capitalism, you see it as like this kind of economic system. And I think anything that ends in the word ism, you kind of learn them in school and kind of these rules about what they are. But I see it much more now as a system of oppression because it's really impossible to and it really is just a system where you're expected to buy things. Really, it feels like I feel pressure to always be participating in um, the economy, in buying things. You know, everybody has like the newest thing and you kind of have to participate in that. And if you don't, there's something wrong with you. Um, and in order to keep up with it, you have to work. So there is this obligation as well to um, make money and to gain wealth. Um, and it feels like kind of out of my control, really. So that's kind of my experience with it. Um, and I've seen uh, at my intersections, I guess, would be as far as wealth is concerned is, you know, when I was growing up, there was a period of time when my mom got divorced where we were on food stamps and lived in some pretty low income housing. So I did experience some of that and see people who, um, mostly white people in my community was very white, but, um, you know, some poor communities where people were dealing with drugs and crime and all kinds of housing issues. But then on the other end in college, met a lot of people who were very wealthy. So new people who very wealthy communities. So seeing it on both ends, I mean, I think people suffer from it on both ends because um, even people who are rich are kind of enslaved to be, to being part of it, to participating in it. Um, I have a question. So you said you learned about the isms in schools. Where did you, because I, I don't, I, we didn't really, I didn't learn about the isms in school. <laughs> well, I guess we learned about some kind school? of economic, thing, like social, not social, um, like Mark, like, uh, what is this guy's Adam Smith, you know, like mm -hmm. these, I, these kind of, it's very vague. I remember, I remember not caring about it that much in school, like thinking it was boring and stupid, but now I think about it and I'm kind of like, well, maybe I should read some of this stuff and understand like, cause some people are so dedicated to it. They'll be like, oh, well, you don't, you don't believe in capitalism. Like what about the free market and what about this and what about this? And I'm like, well, it's all kind of just ideas to me and people mm -hmm. are so dedicated to it, I find. And and uh, yeah, I, I've learned very little about it. I would say that it's been brought up in school, but it wasn't something I was interested in enough to like remember it very quickly. Okay, okay. Cause I don't, I don't remember getting that, that kind of education in the South, but so let's, so um, tell, tell, answer the question for us, please. <laughs> Um, I always say this, but like capitalism is my favorite ism to talk about because I think it's like uh, the father or mother, if you want to gender capitalism, I think definitely, I would say the father because I think definitely it's uh, rooted in patriarchy. And I think capitalism is kind of like the father of all the different oppressions as far as racism, sexism, how that affects me personally. Uh, I too feel the pressure to give in to capitalism as far as like, you know, I need to know how much I'm making and 
I need to make a certain type of salary, not just for myself, uh, for my child, for survival, for, you know, various reasons. I also would say that um, I have not had a very healthy relationship with capitalism. I was really interested to hear, Catherine, that you learned about that at school because I definitely didn't learn. I didn't even really, I'd heard that word uh, throughout economics, like I guess my last couple of years in high school, but I never really understood what it was until I got to college and I started taking like critical race theory. And I started really learning about how capitalism really does uh, affect different industries. So I was up with a disabled mother, a single disabled mother. My, our relationship with capitalism has not been the healthiest. Also, I would say um, in the neighborhood I teach in now, I teach in Pleasant Grove, which if you guys don't know, that's like one of the most crime-ridden areas in Dallas. Like it's I grew up there. The type of stuff that my students see on a daily basis. But one thing I have noticed is that they too are growing up in an environment where they don't have access to capital the same way that, because um, I'll, I'll just say this, I think capitalism is, you know, a white supremacist system. And these kids are children of color, so they don't have access to it the same way other kids in resource-rich neighborhoods would. And that being said, like, you know, Tim's and Nike's and shoes and, and things with labels on them are very, very important to them um, because to them that represents a status of having made it. And so I would say I'm kind of, I'm, right. I'm, I'm kind of like in that same, like, uh, I wouldn't say my relationship with capitalism is along those same lines because I understand capitalism to be a sham, especially for people of color. And I think that we're the ones who have, you know, historically and traditionally been forced to support this system while also not being allowed the privilege to really take part in it, especially as women, women of color. So uh, capitalism is, it's a, it's a no for me. It's definitely a no for it's me. A no, it's a no for me, dog. That's a yeah. no for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll talk a little bit about how I define capitalism. Um, I, I I see it as an entity, like, like you guys were discussed, um, mentioning just that element of consumerism. Um, I see it as an entity rooted in the acquisition of property and power. Um, mm -hmm. Not only the means to which we've sourced our systemic oppressions, like you mentioned, Celeste, um, but also the excuse we make to ignore the oppressions and how they impact the most vulnerable people in our societies. So it's kind yes. of like, it's, it's twofold. It's, it really is twofold. Um, do either of you feel, um, and Celeste, you can go first, um, do either of you feel that you experience uh, some level of privilege when it comes to capitalism or you have experienced some level of privilege? Um, I would have to say absolutely, right? Like I have a master's degree that puts me, because our society, you know, is measured along this scale of how much education you have. I'm aspiring to go back to get a doctorate. I'm about to start that in the fall. So you know, when you have education, even as a black woman who grew up in the South, who grew up virtually poor, that definitely puts me in a space of privilege because there are so many other people who don't have access to the same things that I have access to. And working in education, I see how that, you know, is institutionally and systemically, you know, kept from some people to a certain degree. And then also the fact that I would say, and I'm actually very critical of this because I hate when uh, we talk about like people of African descent around the world and the first thing they leverage against Americans, African-Americans, is like, well, you guys have access to capitalism. 
I said, no, we don't have access to capitalism. <laughs> we built capitalism, but we don't have access to capital. Like, if you talk about black wealth in this country, it's pathetic compared to the wealth of the majority white population. It really is. Right. So I would say, um, yeah, I, I think, you know, to a certain degree, because of, because of my education, I think even as I, you know, travel on this path of continuing my academic career, I'll even be put in place of more privilege. But ultimately, um, that's where it stops for me. I'm a woman. I'm black. I'm not rich. I will probably not get rich working in academia. In fact, I'm 100% sure I won't get rich working in academia. So I still have very little... Um, I have very little access to it still. You mm -hmm. know that, and I think that speaks volumes to the fact that I do, I am educated. And there are so many other people who look just like us that are not. And they don't right. have access in any shape or form to capitalism. Right. And, and we'll be able to, I mean, as you know, we're going to talk more about that in a moment. Um, how academia is connected um, to capitalism. Um, uh, so, uh, Kat, tell us a little bit about, um, your experience. Do you, do you feel that you experience any privilege at all? Yeah, actually, I, I experience a lot of privilege, actually. Um, so I'm obviously white and I grew up in a family where, you know, my parents, my parents weren't super rich, but they had money enough to, and I grew up, I, was, I went to public school, but it was a very good, I happened to be in a town that had really good public school. So I was well-educated. My parents always believed that I was going to do well. My teachers always believed I was going to do well. There was really no question of it. And then, you know, when I graduated high school, I didn't really care about going to college. I was kind of depressed and, like, didn't want to do it. But I still went, you know, and I still had the, the capital to do it. Um, and it was expected of me. And I got a degree. And now here I am in graduate school. I don't get paid very much to do the work that I do, but my income is supplemented by my parents. Like if I really needed something, I don't rely on them for much, but if I really need something, like I can always call my parents and they'll help me. So I'm super aware of that. Like I don't have to work an extra job to do my research. Um, and I have been very, very lucky. And I, I see my privilege kind of as an opportunity in, I, it's something that I didn't realize I had for a long time because I grew up in such a white community. It was something I was really, really unaware of. Um, and actually it was, it's the, the age of the internet that has introduced me to like the world being a different place than what it really, what I, how I had seen it. And so now um, the way I see my privilege is kind of like, especially and white women a lot of the time are, you know, complain about the patriarchy and how difficult it is for them. But in the reality, when I look at my peers, in graduate school, I see that um, there's there's not a lot of uh, black people here, but there are people who come from different countries and speak different languages. So graduate students tend to be ESL. That's like a really common theme. And kids, grad students will move here from all different countries and they come in at different levels of ability to speak and ability to act. And so now I see my privilege really clearly because I see that like, it's easy for me to come into grad school and I speak English and people take me seriously. And a lot of these students don't get taken seriously because of their background. And so um, there's an opportunity to like, kind of communicate with people and like help them, like people that I am exposed to in my day-to-day -day life, um, as far as like grad school is concerned, like helping these students kind of improve on their English and become more confident in their research and things like that. Um, because that's kind of the only opportunity I have for that. Um, 
because I am not like so wealthy, like I can't really do much charity or anything like that. But, um, mm -hmm. but yeah, yeah I, I, definitely I definitely have a lot of privilege. privilege. I see myself as being a fairly privileged person. Do you think you would still fare as well? Because you mentioned that you, you were like, I don't even know if I want to do this college thing. Is it worth it? Do you think you would still fare well if you didn't go to college? Um, yeah, that's actually really interesting. So when I was young, people were like, oh, you have to go to college. You can't do anything but that. But I actually noticed in college that people don't necessarily get good jobs just because they have a degree. So I yeah. think that would have done well anyway, just because of the kind of person that I am. Like I'm very, uh, I like to take off different opportunities and I work really hard and I think that I would have found an opportunity otherwise, but, um, Having an education does give you some advantage. You know, you do have a degree. And even if you don't stay in your field, you know, having a degree makes like a difference on job applications. So it definitely was an advantage, but I think I could have uh, found, found another way. way. But, but then again, if I, if my parents could, if I, my parents could support me and help me, like if I couldn't live at home or like have access to the things I had access to, I might've had to work three jobs and not had any time for networking or moving up in any of those positions you know I wasn't desperate I would never even if I hadn't gone to college I wouldn't have been like living just for money all the time okay okay um I understand what you're saying and that's really fair um so you're saying at your intersection um you you would probably fare well even if you hadn't gone to school um but you fare better because you went to school or because you are in school. Um, and we mentioned a little bit of this earlier when we, when we talked about the first question, but um, where do you think capitalism comes from? And ultimately who's benefiting from it? Like who's getting the ultimate benefit from capitalism? Hmm. And Kat, that was supposed to be first. Or I'll go first. I'll go first. <laughs> Since we're taking turns. Um, okay, so I don't want to get too meta. But when I was thinking about capitalism, I did, as Celeste mentioned, I, I did think about its connection to all of the isms, as um, Kat was saying. And I also wanted to think a little bit about what it's rooted in. And um, I do feel that it's closely tied to power dynamics mm -hmm. and um, sort of a mental and emotional deficiency and a need to kind of fill empty spaces with things, um, you know? So I had to acknowledge how it is um, closely tied to systemic oppression and a means to systemic mm -hmm. oppression and, and racism and patri patriarchy and, and things like that. But when I was really thinking about the gradual growth of capitalism and where it came from, um, I, 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 and I look at the history of it, I feel like it started with sort of um, a curiosity, a curiosity about seeing the world, a curiosity about new things, a curiosity about different cultures, a curiosity about trade and who has what, and sort of turned into this need and this unchecked need to constantly acquire more and have more and mm -hmm. um, and conquer and just thinking about the element of 
how colonialism ties into that as well. And I don't mean just in like author authoritarian ways, but I also mean like just in small microaggressive ways as well. And when we bring it back to today in our everyday lives, um, I, I think that that's also a manifestation of that. Uh, mm -hmm. Kat, what do you think? Yeah, so it's, it's um, capitalism is very, like it's very much an idea. And when I think of like where it came from, I think of it coming from like white men who came up with this like idea. And in academia, it just feels like, oh, like we came up with this idea, we're gonna try this. We have this economic idea like to gain wealth, but it just, in reality, it just doesn't pan out that way. So, um, you know, I think that they, people have these ideas, oh, this free market, we're gonna do it this way and it's gonna accumulate wealth. But I just think these are in reality, the way that they are in, in the minds of the people who came up with them. And I think that um, it's really interesting you brought up colonialism. I've started in the last couple of years to really connect colonialism and capitalism and kind of the whole way our society is functioning. And I see colonialism as a huge aspect, underlying aspect of the way that we perceive capitalism and the way we perceive everything, especially here in North America. Um, mm -hmm. Celeste? Um, so capitalism for me, I would say the birth of capitalism and probably the origin comes from people, um, you know, kind of like stopping the hunting, the hunting gathering societies and starting to farm and farming mm. and realizing, hey, we can farm a surplus of food and we can have all this extra food. And I think at that point, people became accustomed to having surplus. And so you're always looking for that extra something at that point in time in history is probably food. I think that, um, Capitalism, like I said, I think I honestly believe it's the father of all the isms. So I think capitalism has birthed patriarchy. And the reason that men are so, are put, you know, basically put on this pedestal and have access to basically everything that women do not have access to um, is because men have most of the earning power in the world. And, you know, 70% of the world's poor. We're also, I thought this was interesting. Women make up the majority of the world's farmers, which um, I think if you kind of tie the two together, like historically, and you kind of look at like, you know, in, in survival, who's actually considered to be the person providing all the survival, if it's men, if men are providing the protection, if men are providing most of, you know, the material goods, then they're going to be put on a pedestal and they're going to be the ones that have the most access to capitalism, traditionally, historically speaking. So I think that uh, capitalism overall is kind of just like this battle for people who are looking to, you know, make sure they have, it's, it's basically a battle for resources. It's people realizing there aren't enough resources. Scarcity. To put people at certain levels to make sure that they have enough resources for survival. And that's why I think capitalism ultimately is harmful because they would have you, the idea of capitalism, like on paper, would have you believe that everyone gets to participate in the system equally. But as we can see in real life practice, that's not the case. That's not true. I totally agree. And I really, really like how you tied that into the concept of surplus, because when we talk about fear later. A lot of that is it's rooted in the idea of scarcity. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, both of you already mentioned that you work. Um, how has capitalism impacted your ability to build a career? Um, and do you see capitalism also affecting your family and your peers? 
so I can't remember where we are in going first. Um, but Celeste, you can go ahead and go first. Okay, so I work in the public education system here in America, which is one of the most thankless jobs. Um, obviously, they don't really pay teachers a lot, and this has historically been like, you know, I wouldn't even say that, say that they don't pay teachers a lot. It's that they don't pay teachers enough for what we do on a day-to-day -day basis because we wear so many hats. Um, and I think, you know, people are comfortable with that because ultimately, you know, people look at school as not a place of education, but as a place of like, you know, socialization. I think that's historically, that has historically been what school is for. So my relationship- Can you expand on that? I'm sorry. On huh? the social, the, you said um, the social, people view it as the, um, not as a place of education, but so socialization. Yes, I don't come from- Absolutely. I, can, I don't, can you expand on that? Yeah, sure. So um, right now, what we're going through in classrooms across America is that we're trying to make the classrooms more kinesthetic and really differentiate learning because we realize that children don't learn the same way. So a lot of classrooms, and I see this, and I'm often guilty of this myself, is that we'll tell kids, hey, you need to sit down and be quiet. But that in and of itself is kind of traumatizing and it's, it's you know, oppressive because not all children can learn that way. And so first off, right there, what you're doing is you're teaching them ways to behave, what's the proper way to behave. Okay. You're teaching what's the proper way to learn. Mm -hmm. And I kind of just like it to use along that spectrum. Um, I'd like to veer away from that because we can start a whole different conversation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I understand. I, I think um, in regards to how that affects my salary, I would say that before I found out I was pregnant, I didn't really have issue with my salary. I was like, you know, this is what I'm doing for now. I was like, I feel like I'm going to end up going back. I knew I was going to end up applying for PhD programs. I knew that within the next year or two, I would probably be back in school. So it really didn't bother me as much that it does now that I realize, you know, I have a daughter on the way that's, you know, thousands of more dollars per year um, that I have to make sure she has what she needs. And not even from like, you know, a standpoint of, well, she has to have this. Yeah, she, I mean, she has to have food. Obviously, she has to have clothes. She has to have diapers, all of which um, affect my income. And so when I think about my relationship to money now, it's a lot more tense than it probably has been. I would say I've never had just a great relationship with money in the first place. But I've also gotten to a place now where I realize that capitalism is capitalism. I'm like, okay, well, at some point I can't worry myself to death in regards to how much I'm making because I know that if I subscribe to capitalistic beliefs and ideals, I'll never make enough. There will never be enough money. There will never be enough of a surplus of money. There will always be more money to get. And so I mm -hmm. think having to like come to terms with that with myself while also battling the fact that, hey, like, you know, the time has come for y'all to fucking pay teachers, excuse my language, but the time has come no, for y'all yeah. to pay teachers, like, you know, y'all would like to arm us and, and give us firearms and y'all want us to do all this extra shit. Yes! You have no intention of actually compensating us for any of this. And you have no intention, you don't think about the fact that, you know, while I'm protecting your children, I have a child of my own that needs me. She relies on me for everything. She will rely on me for everything. So my relationship with capitalism once again, it's a no for me. It's a no. <laughs> it is. It's inefficient. It doesn't. I mean, because like how you were mentioning that it's an idea. Part of that idea is that it's it's an ideal that that people that it works. 
and that everybody can get to it and that it works for, for everyone, but it doesn't work. It, it, mm-hmm. it's not working. It's inefficient, which means that it's inefficient. It mm-hmm. mean it means that it's, you know, inaccurate. Like who, who, why, why are we investing so much time and energy into something that's not working because it's only working for a few people and the people that it's working for the way that capitalism works the people that it's working for have the most power power so they get to decide that we can continue to do it um sorry about that cat i, I want to hear i want to <laughs> agree with you i totally agree i think that it doesn't it doesn't work for everybody and you have to it forces you to make choices about mm-hmm. your career that you don't want to make so for example like a lot of people, like you said, Kendra, and you work in the corporate world. Like, I don't know how you feel about that, but some people go into the corporate world thinking, I'm going to climb the ladder and become rich, right? But if you, but you don't necessarily want to do that work, you just want to get rich. So for me, like, I wanted to do science, right? So I was very passionate about science my whole life. I wanted to study biology. And I thought, well, I, I'm passionate about a lot of things. So when I was in college, I thought, oh, I could do art or English or, you know, history, all these different things I was interested in, but I thought, oh, well, science is like a real career and I might actually make money doing science. Mm -hmm. Lo and behold, it's very hard to make money doing science. And in grad Mm -hmm. school, this is something we talk about all the time, me and other grad students. There are many, many more PhD students than there are professor jobs. So you can't go into academia. It's not a viable choice. And even if you do, you're not necessarily going to make money. Like professors don't actually do that well. So you get forced into going into industry and it might not be what you want to do. You don't necessarily, I don't necessarily want to do industry, but I'm now considering that as a job because mm-hmm. I know that I'm not going to make good money in academia and it's going to be a big struggle for me. So really what capitalism does is it values certain types of work. It doesn't value all work. You know, it values... Um, only certain types of jobs. And so, and I think this applies to you, Celeste, like education is just not valued in the capitalist system. It doesn't make money for anybody. So if you're not making money for someone on top, then your job just is not valued. And it continues to get devalued as time goes on. Like I see science getting worse and worse and worse. People don't think that it's credible. People think scientists are, you know, this and that. And, and yeah, yeah so, so I, I just, just think, think that, that- it, as time goes on, capitalism just gets more and more narrow in the types of jobs that are actually viable in the system. It's you know, um, I, think, I, I just wanted to like add something to that because I actually, when I initially met with one of the program directors of uh, the university I'm applying to for this PhD program, mm-hmm. I said, he's like, you know, what are your, what's your job? Uh, what do you ultimately want to do? You know, obviously that's one of the questions that you get asked, especially when you're pursuing an advanced degree like a PhD. And so I said, you know, I would love to research and write. That's what I've always wanted to do. I've always had a love for people. Uh, my background is primarily in the social sciences and history. And so, I, I, you know, once again, just like with science, we're not getting paid much because that job isn't valued. It's not valued to talk about people. It's not valued to talk about oppression. It's not valued to talk about these types of things in an academic setting. And so he's like, you know, a lot of people end up going, he said the same thing that you're saying. A lot of people end up going into like, you know, basically industry working as like at private research firms where they're making you know easily 100k but that's not what they want to do they do it because they need to out of survival and so you know it takes away it does like there's no i would say there's no respect for passion there's no respect for um especially education in the sense that we sell this dream that if you become educated you'll be successful that you'll you'll reach a certain level and i think you know nobody talks about the elephant in the room First off, the powers that be don't want you to reach that level. They don't Come want on, you to bars. Yes. So, it's true. 
It's Bars. Sustainable, really. <laughs> what What would y'all say to follow up question? What would y'all say to people who say, "Well, who cares? That's just the way it is." Um, make the hundred k, take the job you don't want, and just do it. Because I mean, ultimately, like you have bills to pay. So. No, yeah, I get this a lot. People say this to me too. They'll be like, well, you know, it's, yeah, well, you have a job and you can make money, so it's fine, or, you know, whatever, like you're doing well enough. But I think that this ties into another question that was in your list, which is about wealth and the, and is it important to accumulate wealth? And uh, my opinion is that wealth, for me, what wealth means is like happiness and fulfillment. And you just cannot get that in this system. Like you are constantly fighting it. And I talked to my boyfriend about this. Like we are both like, frustrated and kind of depressed in the position we're in because we don't want to be living this way. We want to be living differently and we just really don't have a choice. So yeah, at the end of the day, like I live a pretty comfortable life. I, and again, I recognize that that's a privilege. That is really a privilege that I can live comfortably. But at the end of the day, I'm not happy with it. It's, it's depressing. And it leads into all these problems in society where people are so depressed and anxious. And now people are going to the doctor to get more drugs. To, you know, why are we treating a condition that we're inherently, it's not, it's not that I'm sick because I have mental illness. It's that society is sick because I'm forced to kind of live in this certain way. So yeah, I just feel like that is not a good excuse. And it's definitely a no, like, yeah, I'm just not about it. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there are people, of course, who experience yeah. mental illness, you know, for other reasons, but I definitely agree. I, I know that depression very well. <laughs> uh, Celeste, <laughs> did you have anything to add? <laughs> yeah, I would say to the people who were like, take the 100, the 100K, um, you know, I this is my thing. I realize that we all live within this system and along this spectrum of oppression, so I can't I'm, I, I can't judge those people, right? Because they're not saying that out of maliciousness. They're saying that because it's like, well, shit, we do live in a capitalist society. You do need money to survive. You do need money to do basically everything. I mean, it gets to a point um, for me, the way that I, I guess, rationalize if I had to make that decision for myself is that, okay, I'm making all this money. Great. Cool. Wonderful. This is my survival. This is my means of survival. What am I doing to dismantle this system along the way? Mm. And is taking that job, getting 100K, is that me buying into the system or is that me looking for a means to end the system? And can I end this system using the master's tools? Like, can I actually do it using, you know, can you be, can you actually dismantle a system while also working within it? Mm -hmm. And I think that's the question that a lot of activists, especially when we talk about labor, have to ask themselves because, you know, we can't, we can't, we can't meet our most basic needs unless we have money, and it's depressing. It is, and it does cause a lot of anxiety, and it definitely adds to my already extremely intense anxiety about like, well, what am I gonna do if this happens, or what am I gonna, you know, like, mm -hmm. I am about to have to go on medical leave, and I will not be getting paid for a few months. So I'm just looking like, well, what's gonna happen? You know, they don't, there's no maternity leave. Just the way that capitalism works, and the way that you know it positions people to oftentimes fail. And it does it on purpose is yeah ridiculous. i agree thank you for that y'all i really appreciate that um and like you were saying i think it's interesting just to answer the question as well i think it's interesting how capitalism works because in order to excel within it i know you guys are talking about you know both of those parts and in order to excel within it you need to already have money 
you need to already have an element of wealth. And when I'm just thinking about my career and my trajectory, um, a thing that I have felt is that there is a ceiling, you know, and in order to exceed or to go past that ceiling, you need to already have access to certain tools and certain resources and um, just just things that, that I don't currently have access to, that I don't have access to. And that's just talking about um, my experience in the corporate world. Um, there are There are people who are able to transcend it especially people from marginalized groups, but it's such a small amount. And mm. it and people say, you know, oh, well, you can do it too, but really it's, it's a small amount. And usually the way that they do that is by gaining access. So they don't have the resources, but somehow they were able to gain some um, element of access. And, some, and sometimes they were just given access because in order to keep everybody working for, the system of capitalism, you you got to be able to have, you got to be inspired, right? When you go into, especially in the corporate world, depend, no matter what what um, field that you're working in, you have to be inspired to be able to go in every day and think like you guys were saying and think that, you know, you'll climb the ladder and you'll get to the top and you'll get rich. And that inspiration helps you continue to grind and work as hard as possible. And when you're doing that, you're in turn making someone else rich. The the amount of labor that, especially in the corporate world that you put in uh, being a person from a marginalized group, it rarely ever meets, the, the pay rarely ever meets that. Um, and it's, you know, the, the results, the results are just very small. And one thing I really like to talk about is when we look, and I wrote about this in, in my essay as well, when we look at people, a function of capitalism and a function of that imagery is that if you work hard enough, you you will be rich. And it's always rich. Like, why can't it just be, you know, that you have a healthy life, that your basic needs are taken care of? Why do you have to be rich? Like, I, I don't understand that. But there are, and then they look at people who don't necessarily have a lot, haven't acquired very much, you know, don't have a house, don't have a car, don't have these things. And the idea is that those people aren't working hard enough, which is not the case. Um, you know, poor people work very hard. I work very hard. It's just when you reach a certain point and you have a certain level of wealth, that wealth, comp it compounds itself. And, and mm -hmm. we never look at wealthy people, or we never look at quote unquote rich people and, and say things like, um, you know, oh, they're lazy. When the fact is, is that there are, there are rich and wealthy people who have never lifted a finger their entire lives, never worked, never will have to work. Um, and I just, it, I, I, like, like I was saying, I think it's inefficient, um, you know, and, and, and one of those, uh, ways that it manifests is that, um, hard work, hard work and hard labor doesn't always get people, um, you know, the income that they need to survive. Uh, mm -hmm. Do you guys, um, and Kat, you you sort of got into that a little bit. Do you guys feel that um, it's important to build wealth in our society? 
Um, uh, clearly, we all think that, you know, access to wealth is systemic. Um, do you think that an increase in wealth, and when I talk about wealth, I don't mean just mental and, and uh, physical and emotional well-being, but also capital, like like having access to money, having access to where if you have an emergency, that you have a savings account. So if there's if you have an emergency and you're able to move up into the middle class, that one emergency or one job loss is not going to put you back into a position where you can't take care of your basic needs. Do you think that that's important? Um, and I'm saying this as someone who is complicit. Um, and do you think that it will that access to wealth can improve the well-being of marginalized folks? Mm, Who's starting off first with this question? <laughs> uh, Kat, you can go ahead and go first. Um, sure. Yeah. So. Um, <clears throat> I do think that it's important in the sense that you need it, right? Like everybody needs that. And it's something that happens in, in to us in grad school because we don't have so much income. Like if you don't have like a rainy day fund and you like get injured or something happens to you, like you can end up in a lot of trouble financially from that. And I've seen that happen um, to a lot of people. So it definitely is important, like just because of the reality of what we live in. But I don't feel like it should be an important part of society. And I feel like the issue here is the definition of wealth. Like, mm -hmm. because, because when you say wealth, like I feel like the word wealth means like having something that's valuable and, and it is valuable to like have money just because you have to, but it feels, it does feel like a system that you're forced to be a part of. It does feel like, you know, it, it, the same thing we've kind of been talking about is like, what what is wealth? Like, yeah, it is important to be have access to capital. I do I do think that the answer is yes to that, just because of the reality. But I think that also, you know, that definition is more harmful than it is beneficial, really. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would have to say probably I, I feel the same way. I feel like this is especially relevant to me because what this conversation has kind of turned into, especially around young black millennials, is like access to black wealth, which, you know, black people don't really have a lot of access to, but access to black wealth, access to black wealth. And I, while I think that that is important for us to be able to fairly participate in the capitalistic system and, you know, be able to actually undo a lot of the financial oppression that we've, you know, historically been dealt. Um, access to wealth for us is important, but I also see access to wealth as a continuation of capitalism, which I don't like. Mm -hmm. Capitalism ultimately to be dismantled because I feel like mm -hmm. it does way more harm than it does good. Mm -hmm. But I understand, like, I, kind of like what Catherine was saying, I, I think that, you know, realistically speaking, everyone needs a certain degree of access to capital and everyone needs a certain degree of capital. Now, whether that's wealth and how we define wealth, that's also very problematic. I would agree with that. Mm -hmm. But I also feel like, you know, um, if most of our, if all of our oppression is rooted in capitalism and capitalism is money and access, then what would happen if we all had equal access to wealth? What would happen if we, and I am interested to see what that would look like. Mm -hmm. Do I Do think, I think that's, that's a sustainable reality for us? I'm not really sure. I don't know if we'll ever be able to catch up to, you know, the way white supremacy has often positioned people of color within the mm -hmm. system. I don't, I don't think that that's actually going to be possible for us. 
So when I okay. heard that phrase, building black wealth or, you know, building the wealth of, of colored and, and ethnic and minority communities, I often wonder, okay, okay so what is that going to look like ultimately? What's the ultimate goal for us? Mm -hmm. I, it's hard for me. It is hard for me um, because I agree. And of course, I think it's just hard for me as a person who has been without food and has been without shelter. So I've been homeless. I've been hungry. I've been in positions where I needed health care and I didn't have access to it. Sometimes mm -hmm. I deal with some of that stuff now, honestly. Um, mm -hmm. So it's hard for me because in the grand scheme of things, yes, I want capitalism to be gone. At the same time, in terms of my basic needs, I need to eat food. So if I'm yeah. hungry or if I'm worried about my rent or if I'm looking for a place and I don't have the $4,000 deposit or what have you, well, I mean, that's here in LA. And, but um, even in um, Dallas, you know, um, it, it's, it, we'll talk about housing. Hopefully we'll have time to talk about housing, but even, <laughs> even in Dallas, like it's, is getting to the point where it's like, well, who who has a down payment for this? And I just, so on one end, yes, I do want to get rid of it. But on the same end, I do think that when it comes to basic needs and just looking at people who have had enough wealth to transcend the impact of systemic um, oppression in terms of their gender and race, I think that wealth can be an equalizer. I do not think that it's a solution. Um, so yeah. it's not, it's, it's, it can, and at the end of the day, yes, we want to make the solution. We, we want to make the solution happen, but I have to be intersectional and think about people who are mm -hmm. living in poverty as a person who has lived in some level of poverty. Um, mm -hmm. You know, they don't really, have time to, you know, think about dismantling capitalism. You no, know, and that's why it's a privilege it's, in and of itself. Yeah. Yes. And so I, I understand the need and the desire and the need to sort of overcome that depression, that oppression, depression we talked about with the yeah. idea that and the hope that if I make enough money, I'll, I'll get to have dinner to that, to, for the week. You know, so it's... It's 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 complex. Let's talk about free time because I think that free time is important. Um, do you see a connection between? Because gosh, like I, I just I don't I don't like the idea of living to work. Do you see a connection between access, wealth, and free time? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, am I starting this one off? Yes, you can. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, the whole the whole way that we we structure our salaries and our pay, so we're being paid for our time. And you know, ultimately, what you're doing is you're you're working to accumulate more free time so you can do things you really like to do, like you know, sleep and <laughs> spend time with your family, and you know, go to the bar with your friends and get drunk if you want to. These types of things. We absolutely pay for uh, our free time and our leisure activities. And I think that's ultimately what wealth is, right? Is that wealth puts this idea into your mind. 
not only do you want to have a lot of money, you want to have this extreme, excessive surplus amount of money, but you also want to have a surplus amount of time to spend said money. You don't want to, like, capitalism isn't capitalism because you're working all the time. Capitalism is capitalism because it convinces you to believe that once you make a certain amount, you're in the green, you're in the good. Now, do we ever see people who are in the green? I think at our income level of three of us, we don't get, to, we don't really get a chance to really see what <laughs> like right yeah. i think people who are far wealthier than us you know yeah. i i just i I, th I get so like upset when you know i read this article somebody uh recently made like an extra 40 million dollars but they're already worth like you know six or five or six hundred million they made an extra 40 million this is like a headline on a on, on a magazine i said well damn i'm like you know you already have 500 million dollars what's an extra 40 to you right and so to me like, you know, it's one of those things that even there, even the people who are at some of the wealthiest levels in the world, even they still feel the pressure, like, I got to make more money, got to make more. And I'm like, well, where does it stop? If you feel that way, then of course I'm going to feel that way. Mm -hmm. I don't have access to nearly any of the things that you have access to. So I think absolutely capitalism definitely ties into time and how time is constructed and what you are allowed to actually do with your time, right? Mm -hmm. Because and it, it boils down to the fact that we're paid by how much time we give to a certain profession or to a certain job. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, I, I totally see that. I think that it, I think that there's no position you can make in you make it to in society where you're not obsessed with working. I feel like our society is just obsessed with accumulating more wealth and working harder. And there's this kind of like home people do where oh I'm working so much I have no free time and that's that is in itself is a status in our society now to brag about how busy you are and how hard you're working right I, I have a few friends who are quite wealthy and live in San Francisco and I knew this one guy who lived in San Francisco and he was like the vice president of some company he made a ton of money I mean he I mean the rent in San Francisco is crazy and yeah. he lived in like a nice apartment and he could afford it himself like I, I was friends with his girlfriend but he could have afforded that apartment by himself, but this guy was miserable, like working all the time, totally stressed, obsessed with his job. And and I think to myself, like if I made that much wealth and I lived in San Francisco, like I would want to enjoy myself and like do more things. And like, I would have all these opportunities. But when you look at someone in that position, they're just as obsessed with work as anybody else. But then when you go in the other direction and it, people are obsessed with work just to survive, just to put dinner on the table, you know, those people also have no time and are completely stressed. And I think this idea that we've been talking about, about dismantling the system, like, do you remove yourself from it or do you gain wealth from it and then dismantle from the inside? This is something I think about, like, you know, if I get involved in this, like, what can I do from this position to dismantle? But the issue is, as an individual, I can't do anything. And really, everybody who's doing this obsessive working and making ourselves miserable, we all kind of have to decide that we're going to dismantle it together. So which that's why kind of why I think this conversation is important for many people to have, because at every level, you know, somebody who's so poor that they have to work every single day, so three jobs a day just to put dinner on the table and like are afraid of when they're if they're not going to be able to feed their kid or something like that person has no energy to dismantle any system, you know? So right. People who have the time need to make the space for that and make it possible for people to dismantle. You know, it's really not, I, it's almost not possible the way that things are going at the, at the current rate. I agree. I think it's intentional. I think it's intentional um, because I feel like a lot of these major industries 
only pay you enough to keep living, but yeah. also enough so that you have no choice to be to, but to keep working. They don't pay you enough to become financially independent. That's not the intention. They're training you. It is an investment. They are paying you enough to stay there and get as much money as they want you out of you as possible. And it's it's and you 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 see that when you look at how much the, the um, upper management and CEOs make in terms of the people that's, that are doing that are really getting in and doing the daily labor, and then it and it really and then it's the same with time. It's the same with time. They put you in a position where you have oftentimes where you don't have that free time to dismantle capitalism, but also to be creative to be creative about new ways to, um, to, to make money, to be creative about new ways to separate yourselves from these capitalist ideas and these capitalist sources of income. It, it, it is intentional. Just enough money, not enough money to build wealth and save, but just enough money to meet your, in, uh, meet your needs. So conditioning you that just meeting your needs is fine. Just enough money to meet your needs. And also, and even when you look at benefits, <laughs> when you look at benefits, benefits are expensive. It's an investment, of course. But people will ha will stay at a job just for the benefits. They'll stay, you know, they'll continue to sort of make that low pay just so they can keep their health care. You know, and I, I just I just think that's absolutely absurd. And we're kind of running out of time here, so I'll go ahead and move forward. Um let's talk about academia since you both have um, a connection to academia. Um, what, so, so do you see, and then we'll talk about housing um, and healthcare and food. Uh, do you see a connection between, a real connection between education and poverty and um, also has academia been used as a means to uphold capitalism? Is education a right? Should it be free? Lots of questions, lots of stuff to work with there. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think I think that education should be a right. I think that at every level it should be a right because, you know, people, education gives you an opportunity kind of to think about things in different ways and, really like meet people at different levels and communicate about different issues. Like it's really hard to communicate about different issues if you don't have any education at all or if you have limited education. Um, but I think that academia for me has been like this very strange thing because it's it's pitched kind of as like, oh, you gotta go to school so you can make more money. But you go to school, I mean, especially at the undergraduate level, you don't learn anything as an undergraduate. The classes are total BS. Like it's a lot of busy work and it's a lot of just, it's a waste of time sometimes. Like you learn, the amount you actually learn in undergrad is very little. And so people make it this thing like, oh, you have to go, but then it costs so much money and people will like take out huge loans and dump all this money into it. And then what they get out of it is very little. And I think it is still part of this system where, oh, you have to go to college and then you have to get your office job and then you have to climb the ladder. So it's very like, it is very systematic. And I really, when people ask, like I, like for instance, I have cousins who have kids now who are about to go to college, and I tell my cousins, don't pressure them to go to college. Like if they're good at something else, 
don't pressure them to. Don't waste your money sending your kids to college if they don't want to go because it's really not. In my generation, everyone had to go to college, and that was the way it was when I graduated high school. But I just don't think it needs to be that way. Because colleges are stealing money from people. Really. Mm -hmm. Celeste? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I would have to agree, I, especially like what you just said towards the end, Catherine, because I've seen within the past two weeks, I've seen four different articles talking about how there aren't enough people who are vocationally trained and how we spent the last 40 years uh, convincing people they need bachelor's degrees. Mm. In reality, most people can't pay for bachelor's degrees. Uh, in addition to all of that, you know, the payoff between how much you spend on an actual degree and what you're getting out of a four-year degree is very, very little. Hmm. Even, you know, with me, like, and you're, you're working on a PhD, like when you get, I don't know how you're financing your degree, mm -hmm. but I will probably finance mine through more loans, which means that I will have an additional, who knows? I'm, I, I think that when it's all said and done, my uh, school debt will definitely be in the hundreds, hundred thousands for sure. Um, and, you know, you think about that and you think about the fact that what the issue is, is that people are spending all this money on education and they're not getting any real payoff from it. So I would have to say definitely, I don't, I think education should be free. I think eventually it's going to have to be in order to actually sustain our economy because people can't pay, you know, if you think about, if you think about the breakdown of that, paying back $100,000 worth of loans, that's at least $1,000 a month. Who is making enough in surplus money that they can take $1,000 out of their check and throw it towards school loans every month? I don't mm -hmm. show me this person. Show me this person. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that they're probably either rich, they have help. Because I don't think anyone in my position could actually do that, realistically speaking. I think that education has definitely been used to perpetuate capitalism, perpetuate classism, because it is a certain thing that only certain people have access to, which is why, you know, like I said, I'm an educator. I tell my students every day, I'm like, look, a lot of my students want to become mechanics. They want to become electricians. They want to do things that have that deal with their hands and vocational trades. And so there's nothing wrong with that. And I have to like, for even for them, I have to redefine what education means. You can do this. Somebody else can't do that. Like I tell them all the time, Miss Graham was the only really good thing I was good at was using my mind. I was good at like reading. I was good at writing. So I said, you know, college would probably be a good investment for me. And for the most part, I kind of feel like it has. I have my days where I'm like, well, shit, what am I doing? Why am I trying to go back? Because I really don't know what the end game is going to be for me. But I tell my students all the time, like, you have to redefine what you think about success and how you think about education. Because we live in a world where college is not a cure-all. It's just not. Education is not a cure-all. And it's absolutely, absolutely used to perpetuate this idea of, well, if you don't do this, you're never going to be successful. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, I, I hate to see that dialogue continue because it's just not true. It's so misleading to people who are coming after us, people who are younger than us. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll, I'll go ahead and um, I, I can only speak for myself, of course, but I'll go ahead and, and lend that perspective as a person, which I'm sure a I don't know if a lot of people know. Um, I did go to undergrad. I did not finish. Um, so I don't have a bachelor's degree. Um, and I feel that we, which is part of classism, capitalism as well, we've sort of created a degree, we've sort of turned a um, formal degree into a status sim symbol. 
And in that mm-hmm. way, and we've also commodified it. We've commodified it. And when you commodify um, something like a degree, which is so closely tied to an education, one, we make it, we sort of create this culture where anything that, any type of education that does not lead to a degree, it we, we delegitimize it. Um, you know, which takes that knowledge aspect out of it and the the learning aspect out of it. And when we commodify degrees in education, we also turn um, higher learning institutions into corporations. So instead of being, so instead of being invested in higher learning um, and being invested in providing intellectual tools, um, I feel personally um, that a lot of universities and colleges have turned into, um, and I went to a state school, so I can't speak for every every school, but I feel that they've sort of turned into staffing agencies and collection agencies, like a combination, like a mix between a collection agency and a staffing agency. Because what happens if you don't pay them their money? They repossess your transcripts. <laughs> They repossess your transcripts. You can't, you can't sing your, which means you can't take, you can't get copies of your transcripts to send to um, better jobs. You can't get copies of your transcripts to send to um, higher, as, as, as in terms of taking it the next level in, into your education. You can't send it to other higher learning institutions for education, you know, and a lot of them, a lot of universities take money from um, some. They take money from corporations, you mm-hmm. know, train people to do this, and they can have a job here, which is great. But what about those people? Because I went, you know, I got money from a science and engineering school. I am not a science and engineering person, but they offered me the money, so I went there. And what happened was because I was not studying anything in STEM. <laughs> I just didn't exist. I didn't exist. So, and, and that's, that school actually gets a lot of money from tech and they get a lot of money from STEM agencies and, and companies and corporations and things like that. So it just disappeared. I fell into the background. Um, and I, do you guys, so, so we all, and I, I do feel that it should be free. Do you think that there is enough money to subsidize? Because a lot of people are going to say, well, who's going to pay for it? Do you think that there's enough money to subsidize um, free education? And just, I mean, since we're running out of time, just public public um, benefits in general. So free education, free healthcare, free housing, you know, subsidized food, things like that, or um, subsidized education. Like if not free, just low cost. What do you guys think? I'll give you a- no, you go first, you go first. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's all I have to say. Yes, I do. <laughs> yeah, this there. Now, do they want to spend it on those types of things? Yeah. No, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm really pissed about Florida right now for them uh, passing this legislation where they're, they decide to spend $67 million. I don't know if you guys have seen this. I don't know. I haven't really looked into this myself. I just saw the headline. We should do a better job of actually like, doing some background research on this. But they're spending $67 million to arm teachers. And, you know... We don't even have, we don't have paper and pencils most of the time. Our kids come to school, they don't have most of the basic, the most basic shit they need to get through the day. 
but you're willing to spend $67 million on, uh, on guns. And this is definitely in relation to the fact that educational institutions receive money, politicians who control educational institutions receive money from corporations. And so absolutely, I, I think, you know, yeah, we have the money. Do we want to spend it on that? No, because like I said, no one is invested in education in the sense that it's actually supposed to educate. It's supposed to socialize. It's supposed to get people ready. Like even what you just said about the school that you went to, you have all these different STEM corporations giving money to these colleges. Well, teach these people how to do this. They want you to be an assembly line. They want you to be like an assembly mm. line of people producing goods and ideas for a corporation to make more money off of you without ever actually compensating you for what you really do. So, Kat, what do you think? Yeah, I think I think there is enough money for these different uh, services and and various aspects of society. I just think there's no value in it. Like we value the wrong things in society. All the money ends up in places that it doesn't really belong. And then I think it's really interesting you said that, Celeste, because I know that's a huge problem in education. I worked as an educator a little bit before going to grad school, and it's terrible situation, and kids just don't have access. Even in pretty, like, moderately good schools, kids just don't have access to the right resources, and even, like, counselors, having the right number of counselors. Like, you're, you're right, like, kids have all these different needs, and it's not just you know, having pens and paper and everything, like having all the right kind of people, staff at the school that can handle all the situations and they just don't have those kind of staff people because they just don't have the money. But then when, as soon as they talk about guns, all of a sudden the money appears out of nowhere to, to, to put guns in the hands of teachers, which blows my mind. But the one thing I wanted to say when we were talking about education and, and we were talking about how um, money in education comes from all these different places, one thing to think about, and I thought this was a crazy statistic, but I, I never realized this until I read this somewhere. The, the football and basketball coach at state universities is most often the highest paid state employee. Uh, out of all the state employees, the, the, if you look at it, more than the university president and more than even people in the state, it's always the football coach and the basketball coach have the highest salary. And sometimes that's a publicly supplemented salary. And that just shows you where our values really are because mm -hmm. some of those players, you know, like don't always go on to do great things because they have other limitations. They don't get paid to play those, play those sports. They're students, but the basketball coach is making more money than anyone else. So, I mean, it's all about the, our, what we value and where we put the money. I mean, I agree. I agree. I think we do have, I think we do have money to subsidize, um, you know, things like healthcare and education and um, the money's there. I mean, if you if you look at the way that money is being spent um, in our government and how it's being spent for foreign interests and just government perks and things like that, if you look at the amount of legalized tax evasion that is allowed by corporations who should be paying billions of dollars in taxes that could be that could go back into our communities and that could go into um, subsidizing these basic needs. The money is definitely there. Um, uh, last couple of questions here. Um, how do you guys, so what, without naming specific systems like capitalism, socialism, communism, and et cetera, um, what, do you think a society without capitalism looks like? Um, and do you think it's 
um, possible for us to manifest these ideals without giving our government too much power. Because a great, uh, a really big fear is that, um, you know, if everything's public, if, you know, if, if everything is, subs if all of these things are subsidized and made um, affordable, we're, we're giving too much power to the government to, to control and manage those things. What do you think? Mm -hmm. you can go ahead and start. Uh, I think that for me, what that what that looks like is people my, my biggest issue is what I see in people is that people just don't care about each other people don't care about these issues they don't they only care about their this this idea of accumulating wealth people are concerned with themselves and their wealth and people don't look around them and see that people are suffering and that the world is a sick place like I see that and it is very painful it's a heavy like painful thing to like live with and I think that people are really in denial about that people are really in denial about the fact that the world is sick and that they can do anything about it. And for me, the biggest issue is I, what, what I, a world without capitalism or a world where, you know, all of these problems are fixed is a world where people actually care about each other and are willing to put in the work for each other and not just for themselves. And, and so rather than saying, oh, we're going to give all the power to the government and let them handle it, like take the power for yourself, like help, you know, care enough about your neighbor and about the people in your community to do something about it and to you know give up your own time and some of your own wealth to lift other people up and i really think that that is the biggest issue in our society is that we just can't get out of this mentality of more things more for me you know want to make my life better and really I, I feel like that's the the main the main thing for me mm -hmm. celeste i i think you know i think you said something really profound there and i think also one of the biggest problems that we see in dismantling various types of oppression, including capitalism, is that it's hard to teach people and it's hard to tell people that they should care about others, so care about someone else besides themselves. Especially when we live in a capitalist society that, mm -hmm. you know, privileges that competitive nature. You need to get more than the person next to you to make sure you have more, more surplus than them. And I think that's kind of what drives it. I think, um, and the question, refresh me, Kendra, what was the question again? Because I just kind of like got caught up on the last part of what she said. So um, what what does a society with, to you, what does a society without capitalism look like? And also, right. can we achieve right. that without giving the government too too much access to take over our, our agencies? Um, I would hope that we could. I'm distrustful of government for so many different reasons. And I think, first off, even if we were to get that, even think or talk about, you know, openly and publicly, politicians were to talk about that type of thing in a way that actually, like, lended some realistic solutions, like giving the government more power to, you know, make these, all these different institutions a reality for everyone. People would attack them, like, you're socialist. This is socialism. We're not a socialist country, of course. And I mean... In talking about it, that's kind of what it sounds like. But I also think that um, as people, I agree with what Catherine said. Like we have to have some type of responsibility ourselves. We have to hold ourselves to a higher standard to actually make that happen. And I don't know if people are necessarily capable of doing that. I would like to believe that they are, but I've seen so much evidence that says otherwise, especially when you see how deeply embedded and, and rooted in capitalism the entire world is, not just America, but the entire world. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, I'm always really interested to hear about uh, 
what places in societies and cultures looked like before colonial, uh, before colonization, before like imperialism, mm. before, you know, these systems inserted themselves into their daily lives in a way that can't be undone. And I always wonder, you know, like what, how were they living? And I mean, I, I would say that a lot of societies around the world before they were introduced to both of those things had, you know, communities where they believe that, you know, a village is necessary in order for everyone to get the maximum and optimum life lived experience as far as being able to like live in a way that's free, live in a way that doesn't encourage you and almost force you to compete with others for material resources. So I would say, I think it is possible. Is it possible now? It's really hard for me to answer that question because I mean, we've seen so much evidence to the contrary. So it's one of those mm -hmm. things I just kind of like look at it and I like, I, I don't know. I, I really don't know what that would mm -hmm. look like today in today's day and age. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I um I I I think that well what I think that it looks like I think it I don't know if it's possible now because mm -hmm. it's so deeply ingrained I think that we have to keep doing the work um we have to keep having these discussions we have to keep creating that counterculture um we have to keep uh, working with each other and and helping to doing what we can with what we have and using our privilege to help um you know, those who are more marginalized with us. I think a community without capitalism is one where people have more equity, they have uh, better health and they have greater access to free time, which means that they have more time to be creative and to acquire, acquire knowledge and to um, focus on their mental health and, and work on building their own communities. I, I think we just need to, you know, we need to con we need to get into office. Um, so everybody needs to run in their local elections. Encourage everyone you know to run. I don't think that you need to be a politician to run, especially in and especially in a. I mean, that's the way it's set up so that anybody can run. I think when even if you don't win, when you run, um, when everyday people run, we put pressure on politicians to pay attention to the things that are impacting us. We force them to talk to to talk publicly about the things that are impacting us and, and impacting us in a, on a grassroots level. Um, I, and I just think that we need to keep putting that pressure on people that are in power and, um, and, and do that work in our communities and um, put that pressure on, our, our on a legislative level as well. Um, last question, what are things, small things that you think that everyone or that you try to do every day to mitigate capitalism because it's going to be, it's impossible for us to overturn it. Uh, so we talked about what's wrong. Let's talk about solutions. Celeste, you want to go first? Um, ooh, <laughs> that's a really hard one. Uh, solutions to capitalism. I would say um, for me, a lot of it's going to be when my daughter does make her arrival, teaching her that money is not the solution to all of your problems. And that first and foremost, while I understand that you need it, while I understand that it's something that, you know, within this world is absolutely essential to your survival, I want her to know that she doesn't ever have to compromise herself, that there's no reason that she has to, you know, shit on somebody else for, for money, just for the fact that she needs money or she needs a surplus of money. So I think um, also just kind of like teaching the children I interact with on an everyday basis, like, hey, like, you know, like, 
it's cool to have nice things, but they don't make you, they don't make or break you. Because I, I feel like, especially with children, they learn, they're exposed to capitalism so early mm-hmm. and to what it means, like the status of having money so early. And I think that um, if we can kind of like start instituting those ideas in younger people that we're, rec- you know, we're in turn creating a world where they grow up and they're not as indebted to capitalism as we are, hopefully. Mm-hmm. And I think um, for people who are our age and who might be older, I mean, I love intergenerational conversations because you sit down and you talk to older people who have, you know, either been through things similar to what we've been through. And, you know, a lot of them will tell you money is not everything. Like, you know, there are more rewarding experiences in life than being able to have X amount of money. Mm -hmm. But I mean, you know. What do you think, Kat? Yeah, I think that's really interesting, Celeste, the intergenerational and the kind of intersectional conversations I think are so important. So one thing that's going on here in Canada is um, there's a strong indigenous community here and actually all the land in British Columbia is unceded. So it was never taken by any uh, war or treaty. So the, the indigenous people here actually have a legal claim to the land. And although for many years there was a lot of genocide and a lot of um, racism towards them, there still is racism, but they now have citizenship and more legal power. So they're starting to fight back a lot against issues of the land. They're building a pipeline here. And so this is being involved in this community has been really educational for me and realizing that like these people have been here for 30,000 years and this is really their land that we live on. And they don't want to kick us out or to like burn down our houses. Like they want to have a community with Canadians who already live here and to kind of they just want to have respect for their, you know, their, their culture and their land and their way of life. And I think it's a great opportunity, like you were saying, Kendriana, about thinking about, or I don't know, maybe both of you said this, but think just thinking about what was this world like before you had all this colonialism? Like, what were these communities like? And there really is an opportunity here in British Columbia to get involved in that. So I, I feel like, you know, being a part of that community, supporting that community has been really meaningful for me. Um, and then addition to add to that, the other thing for me has been environmental issues. So I feel like the, one of my huge problems with capitalism is it's like buying things all the time that you don't need and then just throwing them away. And if you look at our planet, like it's just disgusting how much stuff, like when you see these videos of plastic in the oceans, like how do people like get up every day and then go and buy plastics? Like I'm complicit in that, like I buy plastics, but one thing I work really, really hard to do in my life is I don't buy new things. So I buy everything used, everything I try to buy used because I feel like these items are already in the world. And if I'm supporting companies that are making, manufacturing new things, that's putting money into a system that is, you know, making things worse for the planet. So buying things used and I mean, plastics are so hard to get away with, but now I've noticed there are a couple stores popping up that are doing like bulk, selling things in bulk. So you bring your own containers and buy foods in bulk. And so one of the things I'm working really hard to get out of my life is plastics. Like, I just feel like you're supporting, and there's a huge industry in it. I mean, people people who manufacture these plastics are have people on the top who are making so much wealth and accumulating so much wealth by convincing people that you have to buy this stuff. Um, and so I'm really working very hard to remove myself from that and to show people that it's possible to remove yourself from it. People think, okay. oh, I can't do it because I have to buy this and I have to buy that. But it's really not as hard as it looks. And I think if we create a society where you don't have to buy all this stuff, then you know we can make a big difference to remove money from those systems as well as to like protect our planet from what, what we're, we're doing. doing. So. Thank you. Thank you. I, 
Uh, great perspectives. I think everyone came from different points of view, but all in the all with the same purpose. And I really like that. I appreciate your time. I appreciate your thoughts. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, uh, Kat, where can everyone find you? Or do you want people to find you? Do you want to be found? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my Instagram, I don't have a lot of social media, but I'm on mm -hmm. Instagram. Um, so my last name is not Stacks, but I use it online a lot. So it's CatXStacks um, on Instagram. Um, yeah, you can find me there. Um, I, it's mostly my personal Instagram, but sometimes I post some things. Actually, today, so yesterday I attended a protest that was about this pipeline that I was discussing, and I my entire story is still up. It's going to probably expire soon, but still up about there was about four thousand people who came out to protest this pipeline that they're building, and it's fully approved. Like they've started, so people in my community are pretty angry about this. Um, pin it, pin it, so we can so we can watch the pin the story, so we can keep watching it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Celeste, where can everyone find you? So again, you can find me on Instagram at The Slayless Show. Um, you can also find me on Facebook at The Slayless Show. That's S-L-A-Y-Y-Y-E-S-T-E -Y 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 in the show. Um, and you can also find the link to my podcast via Instagram or via my Facebook page. Okay. So I hope to see some of you or hear from some of you soon. Well, I'll put both of your information in the notes, of course, and I'll put my information in the notes as well. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Kendriana Speaks, and my blog is um, kendrianaspeaks.tumblr.com. Hey, this is Kendriana. Before you go, I just wanted to let you know that a few things have changed since I initially recorded these interviews earlier this year. I now have a website that's kendriana.com. You can go there to learn more about my work as a speaker, writer, and artist. And also, I get links and access to all of my work on the internet across platforms and the work that I do IRL. Uh, also, I now have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash kendriana. So if you enjoyed this podcast, Podcast and you'd like to support so that I can make more like them in the coming months and years, uh, check my workout at patreon.com slash Kendriana. I have a lot of really cool benefits for my patrons. And also I share a lot of really awesome exclusive work there. Uh, thank you so much for your support and for listening.